It's Thursday, January 14th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Paul Hoynesy, uh, the Indians were among 25 teams that turned out to watch Corey Kluber uh, throw 30 pitches in Florida, and, and he went, from all reports, he threw fastballs that sat 88 to 92, and uh, change-ups, curveballs, cutters, everything in his repertoire was was on display. Uh, what are you hearing from those workouts, and, and what do you think the chances are that the Indians are actually interested in bringing Corey Kluber back? Yeah, I heard he threw well, Joe, for, you know, for this, for, you know, for the, for this time in, in your, uh, you know, kind of off-season throwing programs. You know, this is a guy that only threw one inning last year, with Texas before, you know, tore a shoulder muscle. Uh, you know, I don't think the Indians are really interested in Kluber. I think, you know, they're going, they're going with, they have young pitchers. They're, they're, you know, they're cutting payroll. Um, I think that, you know, two other relievers threw at that uh, showcase, Anthony Swarzak and uh, Steve Chisick. I think they might've been, you know, just looking at them a little bit and uh, maybe, you know, just keeping their, uh, you know, their scouting po- uh, reports updated on Kluber because who knows where he's going to end up. He could end up in the AL Central. Yeah, Cishek uh, and Cishek and Swarzak sounds like a law firm from the south side of Chicago. That's <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, you know the Swarzak <laughs> pitch with the briefly, I think in 2015. So I, I don't know. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't see the the Indians bringing Kluber back either. Especially if, if for what it's going to, what it would cost them to, to do so, even on a one year deal. Uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense. They could reinvest that same amount of money and get, get two decent players to, to sort of bolster the lineup right now and go with the, uh, the arms that they've already got. Uh, but, you know, just to make an appearance there, maybe, maybe see who's, who's also there looking at them and maybe uh, see if the, uh, if the White Sox or the Twins or uh, any of the other teams that are rumored, uh, maybe even the Tigers, I had heard the Tigers were, were hot on them too. Uh, you know, any one of those guys, the, the Indians play 19 times a year and uh, the opportunity to face Corey Kluber or for Corey Kluber to face the Indians might be uh, an attractive add to, uh, to whatever uh, team wants to bring him in. So uh, yeah, a lot of potential there uh, in, in this upcoming season. If, if Corey, Corey Kluber joins another team in the AL Central. Yeah, you know, so they certainly know him. They've got a track record on him. Every, every, you know, saw, saw they, Corey had so much success against uh, the AL Central teams when he pitched for the Indians. And, you know, teams like the Yankees in Boston, uh, you know, they, they need pitching as well, pitching depth. He could, you know, they, the Yankees lost a lot of free agent pitchers and uh, they've got a lot of pitchers on the free agent market. And uh, he could fit in in the middle of their rotation. That you know, that'd be a nice place for a guy like Kluber if he's if he's a healthy and he can hold up for the season. Yeah, let's not kid ourselves. The most likely landing spot for Corey Kluber is either the Yankees, uh, possibly the Red Sox, maybe even the Mets. Uh, you know, all of those teams are are definitely in play uh, when it comes to that, just because of the way they can spend and bring him in. Uh, he could, they'll be able to offer him the most years and the most money. Uh, out of any of those teams. So it'd uh, be interesting to see where Corey Kluber falls. Uh, Paul, you wrote about how 
the trade of Carlos Carrasco sort of leaves leaves a space, leaves you know leaves a, a hole in the Indians' rotation now that that there are several candidates who could fill it. Uh, it pretty much guarantees uh, Tristan uh, McKenzie will be uh, you know slotted in one of those uh, one of those spots, you know fourth or fifth. But then you've got a whole bunch of other arms that are that are going to be going to camp and really competing for that number five spot. Yeah, they've got a lot of young arms, Joe. I mean, you look at, you know, if McKenzie wins the four spot, then you've got guys like uh, Adam Plutko. You've got, uh, uh, I'm, uh, Cal Quantrill. <laughs> I'm looking for my list right here. Yeah, you have, yeah, Cal Quantrill. You've got Scott Moss. And then you've got kind of another, uh, a Logan Allen. I shouldn't forget Logan Allen. Then you've got another kind of a second wave behind those guys. You know, Sam Henkes, um, uh, Vargas, um, uh, I think Eli Morgan. And uh, there's an, uh, so there John you've Carlos got. Me. You, John Carlos yeah, you, Younger guys, uh, not younger guys, but guys that, you know, really have been, yeah, been either hurt or haven't pitched, you know, above uh, A ball or double A. And uh, those guys will be in camp too. They're all on the 40 man roster. So they're going to get a look and we'll see uh, just how uh, the never, you know, the, how the next round of the Indians pitching uh, factory, how the, you know, how, who rolls off it. And uh, if those guys are ready. Yeah, it really is sort of like uh, it's a great image that you just paint a uh, factory assembly line. They, they bring in the raw materials, they bring in the parts in, in trades or through the draft. And uh, they, they just sort of churn out this uh, ready for the road kind of, product uh when, when they need it uh Tristan McKenzie being the latest example of that but I think uh Cal Quantrill will definitely benefit from uh coming to camp and being in Arizona and and working closely with those development guys uh as as they head towards uh the start of the regular season uh it doesn't necessarily mean that that he'll be a finished product by then but you know maybe after a, a certain point some of the stuff that those development guys uh you know, show him will will click, and maybe by mid season something uh, something along those lines, Cal Quantrill becomes a a, a super effective guy. Uh, do you, do you think that they'll they'll lean towards maybe giving Plutko a, a longer look this time? Since you know, really, it it always seems we come down to spring training, and it's like, boy, this is Plutko's last chance to do something. Plutko's yeah. last chance to, you know, he's he's had like a half dozen of these, you know last chances or final shots. Uh, and, and he always just seems to be hanging around. Yeah. I think, you know, what, what helps uh, Adam is, you know, he's versatile. He's shown he can pitch out of the pen that he can start, that he can sit for, you know, five, 10 days uh, and, and come in and do a good job. He can make emergency starts and he is out of options. Uh, you know, I, I would think, uh, you know, you know, they know what uh, Plutko can do. You know, he's, he's not going to surprise them. I would think Quantrill would probably get a shot here, you know, uh, just uh, to see what what he can do. And McKenzie, we, you know, he's made eight, he's pitched eight games in the big league. So yeah, he, he's looked impressive and he's had some good outings. But is he going to hold up? Is he, you know, physically? And let's see him over the long haul. Let's see him over a full spring training. And uh, if no matter how many games they play this year. It's going to be more than 60. We know, I wouldn't imagine that. And if they play 162, you know, what's he going to do? And, and he also, you know, looked like an option out of the bullpen in the postseason. He, he pitched pretty well, too. 
Right. I, I don't think ideally they would want to pitch McKenzie out of the bullpen, but uh, you know, it's, it's interesting with McKenzie's history of injuries and uh, you know, just missing as much time as he has over the last couple of years, time that he could have been building strength and building that sort of that major league endurance that gets you through 162 games. Do you think they'll be cautious with him this season at least you know, maybe he breaks with the club. Maybe he, he starts from, from the beginning. But do you think maybe towards the middle or end of the year, they back off of him a little bit, give him some time to, you know, maybe between starts, uh, regardless of how he's performing? Yeah, I think that that's a good point, Joe. And, you know, this is a guy that really hasn't pitched above double A. Yeah, I don't, he's never pitched a triple A as far as I know. If I believe that's right. And so maybe, you know, if the, the minor league season seems – you know, there's a lot of question marks still about the minor league season, but it's it seems like, um, you know, the teams will break camp with, uh, you know, like a 60 player pool and, you know, that they'll have a triple A team. So maybe, you know, Tristan would go there and uh, get some work there and then come up during the season. You know, but, uh, you know, I would think, you know, they're going to look at him a as as a, as a, as a big league starter. And right. then, you know, just kind of maybe coddle him or give him an extra day when he needs it and uh, get him through there um, as opposed to him starting a year at AAA. All right. The the worst case scenario would be to rush him and and lean on him too heavy in this, this like what could be his first full major league season and and then, you know, just suffer some sort of, uh, you know, catastrophe there that the, the Indians would not want to see. Uh, we mentioned uh, before we get to whether or not the uh, the season will start on time, uh, the deadline uh, coming up, what is it, 1 o'clock uh, uh, is the the arbitration figure uh, exchange deadline is coming up. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a big day for the Indians and for, uh, I, I believe they have three guys eligible for, for arbitration that you have to exchange figures with. Yeah, that's Friday at 1 p.m., Joe. Uh, they've got to exchange figures. You know, Phil Maton is still uh, unsigned. Austin Hedges is unsigned. And uh, Ahmed Rosario um, was eligible for arbitration. And he's one of the uh, the shortstops they acquired in the Lindor Carrasco trade from the Mets. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that works out. Um, you know, and I, I, I would think, you know, uh, they, they get these deals done because, you know, the Indians, you know, lately, the last few years have become a uh, you know file and trial club they uh they, they don't they aren't uh if you don't if they don't reach a deal by by the deadline friday you know the, you're going to arbitration they're not uh they're not you know they're they aren't going to continue to negotiate now that's that's how they've handled it i'd say the last three or four or five years so it you know what we'll see what happens with these guys and uh, you know mayton What's uh, I think he was expected to make about 700, 800 grand mm-hmm. hedges right around, you know, is projected at 3 million and Rosario probably around 2.2, 2.3 million. So we'll see uh, where that ends up. You know, the guy I'm interested in Joe is, is Francisco Lindor. I know he, he's uh, gone. He's, he's the Mets uh, property now, but uh, you know, he's not, he, he's, this, I think this is his third time around for, for arbitration, never gone to arbitration with the Indians. They always settled on a one-year deal, and uh, now he's he's in New York with a with a rich owner, and 
you know, he could, you know, he could make between 17 and maybe 20, 20, 22 million dollars in arbitration. And I wonder if he'd go to arbitration or would he just take this, you know, this one year, settle on one year and then roll it over into a multi-year deal. Yeah, that's, that's interesting to see, you know, maybe it will give a, an indication on whether or not he's willing to sign a, a, a long-term extension uh, right now is, is whether or not he fights this and goes to arbitration or, or just signs early. Like, like you said, uh, Lindor with the Indians, it, it always seemed to get resolved pretty quickly in terms of uh, the arbitration, uh, you know, process. Uh, he agreed before they went to, to whatever. And uh, you know, the, the figure he signed as it was like 17 million, some, something yeah, in that 17.5 range. last year, 17.5 last year. I got to believe he's going to get at least 20 this year. Uh, you know, as, if, if I were the Mets, I'd, I'd throw maybe, you know, 20, 20.5 out there and see if he takes it. If he takes it, then say, Hey, we'll, we'll work on the contract uh, extension before, before spring training starts. Yeah. And, and then uh, another thing, you know, even, uh, you know, with the Indians three arbitration candidates, it's going to be interesting how they look at the season at the 60 game season, you know, uh, do, you know, I could see, you know, it being evaluated differently. The players look at it. Okay. I, I, I had a great 60 games. And if you, you know, project that over 162, I'm even better. So do I get paid for that? Or do you, and, and the club is probably saying, Hey, you played 60 games. This is what we want to give you for 60 games. So, you know, that's going to be an interesting argument. We'll have to see uh, who, uh, you know, who comes out on, on the, the winning end on that. If, yeah. If, the, uh, the nice, the nice, cases. the nice thing about that is it's not necessarily the club that's uh, that's making those arguments and, and, and arguing that case. It's the, uh, the lawyers for major league baseball that, that are in the room with the arbitrators uh, it, it's not like Chris Antonetti is sitting across the table from, uh, you know, Phil Maton saying, well, you know, 750 is a bit steep. I, I don't know. Uh, I, it, it's just, it's neat. And it's, it's weird to see Austin Hedges. He's going to be the third highest paid player on the club. <laughs> the backup <laughs> catcher that... making $3 million, likely to make about $3 million in, in arbitration. And he's your backup catcher. He's, and what he played like he had two at bats or something, didn't he? Yeah. Behind, I mean, that it, it it really does blow your mind that he's going to be the the third highest paid player on the team. But uh, well, that's that's service time and co- comparables. Well, that's one season. And, that's you know, one I mean, season. the player, you know, the players can go to these things. I mean, right? You know, this, you know that's the uh, that's the the one downside. Well, there's a lot of downsides to the process, but that's a downside. I mean, if the player wants to go. And the uh, you know the the his team his representative is is you know telling him why he shouldn't get paid this and you know uh, revealing negative stats and stuff. Sometimes that doesn't sit well. That's what caused the Indians not to go to arbitration for about twenty years because uh, you know with what happened when Greg Swindell and Jerry yes, Brown Swindell. went to arbitration like back in nineteen ninety one or something. There was it was so contentious in both of them. You know, uh, John Hart and uh, uh, Danny O'Dowd said, hey, we're not doing this anymore. And that's what started, you know, the long-term contracts before uh, the players were eligible for arbitration. And that, the whole, and it's still, that process is still going on throughout baseball now. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, O'Dowd and Hart sort of locking up those young core guys, uh, you know, paying them over, uh, you know, buying up a couple of years of their free agency and, and really setting up that, that first nineties run of, of success that the Indians had because, uh, because they didn't like uh, that awkward feeling when you're <laughs> telling a guy he's not worth as much as you're paying him. Uh, yeah, it's, it should be interesting to see how, uh, how arbitration goes. Uh, that leads into uh, the news from Commissioner Rob Manfred that uh, the, the league, Major League Baseball, is uh, committed to a full 162-game season this year, uh, along with starting spring training and uh, the regular season on time, uh, regardless of the pandemic and the virus. Uh, I think that the, it, it's been shown that, you know, you can work around things and, and get things Effective. If, if the NFL is going to go all the way through the season uh, the way that they did, the NBA is, is sort of uh, locking down right now in terms of their early in their season. But it's been shown that you can sort of get through this if you do things the right way. Uh, Major League Baseball is going to try and make sure that, you know, the, the season is played. And there's hope that there can be fans at spring training and regular season games. Yeah, I'm, I mean, uh... You know, I know, I, I'm wondering, Joe, does it really happen? I mean, I'm wondering um, just um, are fans going to, you know, how many how many fans are going to be at these games, even in spring training? Or, are, you know, they going to have to be socially distanced? Are they going to have to wear masks? And, uh, you know, so it's, it's going to be interesting. And I think, you know, the, the players really want to play 162 games. I think this is being driven by the players. You know, they only played 60 last year, prorated salaries. Uh, so I think they, they want to get as much of their salaries as they can. And um, so we'll see how it works. I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, I, I think, I still think the virus is going to have a say here and right. uh, we'll, we'll see how it happens. But uh, you know, when we talked to Chris Antonetti, you know, uh, uh, following the uh, Lindor trade, you know, he seemed he, nothing seemed certain with with him. I mean, he he wasn't going to write anything in concrete. Right. The the response when asked about spring training in the regular season, uh, Antonetti said, "Hey, if you know something that I don't know, please tell me so that we can start making plans." That's uh, it. Really does seem sort of up in the air right now with all that. Uh, but realistically, let's say that. Uh, the, the vaccination program really gets ramped up here in the next couple of months. Uh, you know, by the time the, the teams are ready to break camp and come to town and start playing games in their home stadiums, uh, that you're at the same level as you are, have you have been for NFL and NBA games where there's about, what, 25% uh, crowd allowed into the stadium with social distancing measures. I think realistically that probably is is going to be the case for the entire major league season. I think you'll have fans in the stadium in some capacity, but it won't be anywhere near full capacity or what's what was allowed prior to the to the virus and I think that's going to last the whole year because really they they said herd immunity isn't going to be achieved until sometime around fall in time for football season. Jeez. Yeah, that 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 makes sense and what they had uh, at the postseason last year in Texas, 
they had like 11,000 fans in the stands for the LCS and the World Series. So that's maybe that's what we're looking at here, Joe. I just wonder, from our standpoint, from our standpoint, kind of a selfish concern. <laughs> but how do we cover this team? I mean, do we still? Is it still going to be zoomed? Is it, are we going to go out to spring training? Because you know, from the people I've talked to, we're not even going to be able to get in the complex. You know, in spring training, it's going to be the tier one, tier two, tier three thing. Like, I mean, and maybe you can watch practice from a distance. Or, you know, you can, you, you might be able to cover the games from the press box once the Cactus League season starts. But, uh, you know, that's going to be, I mean, all of this is still to be determined. Right. Yeah, I, I, I do see Zoom as being at least, at least the first half of the season next year being the, the only way. I, I can't see us being allowed in the, in the clubhouses until next year, until 2022. No. I, I really don't see that happening. So, uh get used to uh finding that mute button and uh raising your hand in a uh in a zoom press <laughs> i still don't know how to ask a question <laughs> it's it, it's kind of fun though to to be that hard it, it 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 is kind of fun to watch as the uh you know as antonetti and, and those guys have to stop every so often and say hey hoinsey you're on mute come on uh it, it's uh it, we do get a chuckle out of that uh, uh once in a while but no, I, you know, if it, if it means that we get back to normal after a, a full season of, of this again, and, you know, maybe by 2022, everything is, is back to fans in the stands and, and us in the press box and in the clubhouse, uh, you know, I'll take it. I'll, I'll get through it just to, just to get back to where we were. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's enough to drive you crazy with, uh, with having to be, have, not being able to, to, to cover the team the way that, you know, we, we were used to, and we're, we're actually good at that. You know, we're good at, at going to these ballparks in the other cities and, and, you know, getting these stories and finding out these details. And it's just not the same when you're, you're sitting on your couch watching it on zoom. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's changed your perspective on, uh, on the game and uh, covering the game for sure. Joe, right. I saw, I saw some odds come out, betting odds come out on the AL central. Did you see those? Uh, yeah, I, I think I got the same email that, uh, that you did. Um, interesting. Uh, some of them, I, I, I think, uh, the, uh, the odds are, are really uh, not just the AL central, I, I, but looking at the other divisions that they have, uh, as well, uh, Oakland was the one that jumped out at me 11 to 10 to win the, uh, the AL West for, for the Oakland A's. Wow. Uh, but like you said, in the Yale Central, uh, the White Sox uh, favored to win uh, five to four odds. Twins two to one uh, for second place, or for, I'm sorry, that's to win is their two to one. And the Indians are 21 to four uh, to win the AL Central next year. Uh, not great, not great odds for the Indians. Not great odds, and I guess that's a. Those are as expected, I think. After well, so far with the moves that have happened this winter, I mean. The White Sox are loading up. The Twins, the Twins have been very, very quiet. I, that surprises me. I wonder what what they're up to because they got a lot of a lot of prime free agents. You know, they lost a lot of guys. Rosario, uh, Nelson Cruz, are still all those guys are still out there. So uh, I wonder what they're. I, I wonder what they're going to do. I wonder what kind of team they're going to be able to put on the field. Yeah. Well, and you know, considering everything that went on last season in Minnesota outside of the ballpark. 
uh, you know, maybe that is, is having some sort of impact or, or, uh, you know, whatever on their, their situation there and their spending, who knows, uh, none of the teams in the, in, in baseball are, are really, uh, you know, every, every team sort of felt the pinch of it last year, uh, some more than others like the Indians, but, uh, you know, maybe the, the climate out there is, is different as, as, in, as far as what the fan base is, is going to be able to offer them in terms of uh, uh, support next year. All right. Uh, heading into next uh, week, we're looking at the hall of fame and uh, you know, got to keep, uh, keep an eye on Omar Vizquel and, and where he's tracking in terms of the ballots that have been returned. Uh, but next, next week, the, the, the hall of fame is going to be revealed. Yeah, that's, uh, and it's going to be interesting because, you know, really compared to the ballots, you know, that have come out the last three, four years, this one was kind of, you know, it wasn't that strong. And there wasn't a lot of guys that, that jumped out and, and, uh, and really grabbed your attention. There wasn't a, a cheater. There wasn't a Mariano Rivera, you know, no doubt about it. First, first ballot hall of famers, you know, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see if Kurt Schilling gets in. I mean, uh, it seems like he is not trending well. Uh, I mean, and he was at 70% last year. Yeah. And you wonder uh, if uh, anything involved with the, the unrest in the Capitol last, last week uh, might have any, any influence at all on, on the, the vote on Kurt Schilling, uh, given his uh, sort of very public stances on some of those issues. Uh, last thing before we go, Major League Baseball. In light of the uh, the, the Capitol uh, uprising last week, uh, has decided to suspend all political giving uh, in terms of their donations through their MLB uh, political action committee. Uh, since the 2016 election cycle, 52% uh, of their donations have gone to Republicans, uh, and the the decision by Major League Baseball doesn't just affect giving to Republicans, also Democrats. But uh, among the, the uh, Congress people who had received donations since 2016, uh, nine of them, including two senators, were uh, involved in the votes to overturn the election results. And um, you know, that's just an indication of how uh, big an event that was in, in, you know, for the country, but for Major League Baseball to sort of step forward and say, hey, we're, we're not gonna donate uh, to any politician right now in, in light of this situation. Uh, it's sort of a, a big step in terms of being a leader in that regard. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably uh, a good thing. I mean, you know, MLB has tried to get out in front of, you know, uh, you know, being a supporter of Black Lives Matter, of social justice. And I think this just plays right into that program and taking a neutral stance on this thing. Uh, especially over the events of uh, last week when the Capitol was attacked. Um, I think this is, this is a, a, a good thing to do for, for Major League Baseball. All right. Hoinsey, we'll be back uh, next week with uh, three more podcasts, and we'll talk to you then on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. <laughs>